Well, uh, there have been a lot of surveys that have been done lately about um, church and about the demise of church or the irrelevance of church as Numbers dictate, not only within one denomination, but all denominations, that there is a very certain decline in church attendance. And that's why you get to be saints today, because you are here and, uh, and you are faithful. You are faithful servants of God. But there are a lot of people, in fact, we could say most people this morning in Shreveport are not in church, Right? You can just look in the gym and see that, right? We have um, tons of people who are not in church this morning, and it's, it's probably not registering in anybody's minds like, wow, I should be at church today. And so a lot of uh, survey writers have also been uh, interested in doing the analysis of that. And there was a good article in The Atlantic uh, recently that uh, began to look at some of the reasons why people aren't attending church. And one of those is one that really stands out and has stood out for a long time. And it's one that I often hear if I say, hey, do you have a church that you go to? No, I don't go to church. Um, Well, is there a reason that you don't go to church? Uh, Well, it's full of hypocrites. And I said, well, you know, as you've heard the retort, come to our church, right? Uh, Because you'll you'll just add one more to the number of hypocrites. (laughs) Because we are all hypocrites in different ways, aren't we? But I think it gets to the, the point that people see that a church or people who go to a church say they believe in God, say they believe in God's commandments, believe in the teachings of Jesus, yet they live very differently as though they don't believe. And this is the kind of thing that Jesus was dealing with as he entered into the temple. And we have to understand, as we've heard this gospel text, right before this took place, or not long before this took place, Jesus went into the temple and he cleared out the temple. He was tossing over tables. He had a whip that he had made. It was all a big demonstration. Jesus was an activist in that sense. He had a point to make that there was no room. They were not allowing people uh, who uh, they didn't believe should be in the temple to come into the temple. And those that they thought maybe could come in, they wanted to uh, work the books in in a certain way that they had to pay for their sacrifices and do all of this. Uh, And so it was kind of a marketplace that was going on there. Jesus was irate that the helpless and the poor and the vulnerable and the tax collectors, whom they viewed as crooks, and maybe you do too, uh, that uh, the prostitutes, the others, the notorious sinners in their community could not enter the temple. And so they too probably were saying, I don't even want to go in there anymore. It's just full of hypocrites. We see how they live. We hear what they believe, but we don't see it in action. And so this is what Jesus was dealing with. As he walks into the temple after doing all that, you know, he goes out and curses the fig tree and he comes back and they say, by what authority are you doing this? Like who made you God? How do you get to do this? How do you get to teach these things? I mean, where do you come from? And so Jesus kind of turns the tables on them and says, well, let me answer your question with a question. And so he asked them a question that just as they tried to trap him, he ends up trapping them. And they have nowhere to go in their statement. 
But what Jesus wanted them to understand is that they were missing the point of what religion was all about, especially their religion. That God had called them to go and to bless all nations. That God had called them to love their neighbors, to serve the vulnerable among them, to take care of the foreigners who were coming into their community. To be able to demonstrate God's justice for everybody. And yet they weren't doing it. They had strong beliefs. And yet no real actions. So Jesus tells them a parable about this father who, and and my father had two sons, has two sons. And I can identify with this story. It's like my dad saying, okay, I need you to go mow the yard. Says to my older brother. My brother says, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so, Dad. It's not really, not really my thing. <laughs> and then maybe he feels guilty later, so he goes out and mows the yard. And, uh, but before that, he, he says uh, to me, hey, I, I want you to go. Since he says he's not going to go, I want you to go. And, and I would say, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And then don't do it. <laughs> and so Jesus says, which one is doing the right thing. Which one uh, is following in the way that God wants them to follow? And it's this difference between what you say and what you do. This difference between belief and action. And Jesus wants Israel, his own religious people, to see that they are like that younger son. They are like the one that says, yeah, we'll do whatever you call us to do, God. And then they don't do it. And yet they want all the blessings and they want to keep all that to themselves and they miss the point. Well, uh, I was just reading this text this week made me think a lot about um, a story that I heard a long time ago by uh, an author who really shaped my life. And I was thinking back to when I was in middle school and I had a youth minister who really exposed us to a lot of things that were radical. And I remember thinking, I want to go back to school and I want to be radical. I want to be radical for Christ. And this was from uh, Tony Campolo, who has passed on, but uh, a sociologist and also a strong Christian, a Baptist, and uh, really uh, made such a great influence on um, the evangelical world and beyond. They wrote a book called The Kingdom of God is a Party. And I've shared this story. I don't know how long ago it was that I shared it here. But I want to share it again because it really matches up with what we are thinking about and what we are talking about and hearing today. And uh, he talks about an experience that he had late one night in Hawaii. And I can't tell it like Tony Campolo. And and I did cut out some of the the more interesting parts of it that... um, because he had a habit of throwing in some words that probably aren't to be used in church. But he says, uh, you know, up a side street, I found a little place that was still open. He was hungry. It was really late at night. He's looking for a place to go. I don't know if he was there doing a lecture series for a church or what he was doing. But he says, I went in, I took a seat on one of those stools at the counter, and I waited to be served. He says, this was one of those sleazy places, places that deserves the name Greasy Spoon." Think Waffle House, okay? (laughs) He says, I did not even touch the menu. I was afraid that if I opened the thing, something gruesome would crawl out. 
Thought it was the only place I could find. He says, as I sat there munching on my donut and sipping my coffee at 3.30 in the morning, the door of the diner suddenly swung open, and to my discomfort, in marched eight or nine provocative and boisterous prostitutes. It was a small place, he said, and they sat on either side of me. Their talk was loud and crude. He says, I felt completely out of place and was just about to make my getaway when I overheard the woman beside me say, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend responded in a nasty tone. So what do you want from me? A birthday party? What do you want? You want me to go and get you a cake and sing happy birthday? Come on, said the woman sitting next to me. Why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. Why do you have to put me down? I was just telling you it was my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should, I, why should you give me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? When I heard that, I made a decision, he says. I sat and waited until the woman had left, or the, the women had left. Then I called over the guy behind the counter and I asked him, Hey, do they come in here every night? Yeah, he answered. The one right next to me. Does she come in here every night? Yeah, he said. That's Agnes. Yeah, she comes in here every night. What do you want to know? Because I heard her say that tomorrow is her birthday, I told him. What do you say you and I do something about that? What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night? A cute smile slowly crossed his chubby cheeks, and he answered with measured delight. Uh, that's great. I like it. That's a great idea. Calling to his wife, who did the cooking in the back room, he shouted, Hey, come out here. This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow's Agnes's birthday. This guy wants us to go in with him and throw a birthday party for her. Right here, tomorrow night. His wife came out of the back room and all bright and smiley. She said, that's wonderful. You know, Agnes is one of those people who is really nice and kind. And nobody does anything nice and kind for her. Look, I told them, if it's okay with you, I'll get back here tomorrow morning about 2.30 and decorate the place. I'll even get a birthday cake. No way, said Harry. The birthday cake's my thing. I'll make the cake. At 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. I had picked up some crepe paper decorations at the store and had made a sign out of big pieces of cardboard that read, Happy Birthday, Agnes. I decorated the diner from one end to the other. And I had that diner looking really good. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out on the street because by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu <laughs> was in the place. It was wall-to-wall -wall prostitutes <laughs> and me. <laughs> At 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner was swung open, and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready. After all, I was kind of the MC of the affair, he says. And when they came in, we all screamed, Happy Birthday! Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her legs seemed to buckle a bit. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. As she was led to sit on one of the stools along the counter, we all sang happy birthday to her. 
As we came to the end of our singing with happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you, her eyes moistened. Then when the birthday cake with all the candles on it was carried out, she lost it and just openly cried. Harry gruffly mumbled, blow out the candles, Agnes. Come on, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to have to blow out the candles. And after an endless few seconds, he did. Then he handed her a knife and told her, cut the cake, Agnes. Yo, Agnes, we all want some cake. Agnes looked down at the cake. Then without taking her eyes off it, she slowly and softly said, look, Harry, is it all right with you if I, I mean, is it okay if I kind of, what I want to ask you is, is it okay if I keep the cake a little while? I mean, is it all right if we don't eat it right away? Harry shrugged and answered, sure, it's okay. If you want to keep the cake, keep the cake. Take it home if you want to. Can I? She said. Then looking at me, she said, I just live down the street a couple of doors. I want to take the cake home, okay? I'll be right back, honest. She got off the stool, picked up the cake, and carrying it like it was a holy grail, walked slowly toward the door. As we all just stood there motionless, she left. When the door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. Not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we pray? Looking back on it now, it seems more than strange for a sociologist to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But then it just felt like the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. When I finished, Harry leaned over the counter and with a trace of hostility in his voice, he said, Hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? In one of those moments when just the right words came, I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> Harry waited a moment and then almost sneered as he answered, No, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. What Jesus was telling the religious leaders in Israel was that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is the kingdom that exists for other people. Amen. And it is for people who obey God's commandment to love neighbor with actions and with mercy. And it is for people who are in need of mercy and the grace of God. May we be the kind of church that doesn't just believe in God, but obeys God's will to love the Agneses of the world. And you know what? They're all around us. They are all around us. I want to close with the collect of the day as we read it earlier. And I want to lead this prayer. Oh God, you declare your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Grant us the fullness of your grace that we, running to obtain your promises, 
may become partakers of your heavenly treasure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.